0: here back with us again today and um, how cool it was to look up and see the nice songs and jazz family I can't remember your last name right now jazz I'm so sorry I blanked out it was vacation last week so um, to see you guys all the day and um, what a wonderful privilege it is that we have as believers to to gather together every week and receive from God's word to be encouraged and to be strengthened in him and that's really the theme of of the passage this morning is being strengthened in God being strengthened in God. Now, we get there in a kind of a a weird way. We get there in a way that looks pretty weak, looks pretty awful. It's not a great passage as the last few chapters of Samuel have been. They've been pretty rough. They've not been these wonderful, glorious, overcoming things. They've been challenging times, and yet God has made himself and his character so plain. And today, we're going to see how we, we are strengthened in God in the midst of this distress. So, Open your Bibles up, if you will, to to 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're just going to be reading the first nine verses. Normally we do the entire chapter as we've been going through Samuel, but I'm just reading the first nine verses of 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is God's holy inspired word. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire. And taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept till they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul. Each for his own sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and shall surely rescue so David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook of where those who were left stayed behind. Let's pray. God, thank you for showing us real life in your word, for showing us the rawness of life, Lord, by giving us accounts like this of, that are very distressing, very disturbing, Lord, but yet that point us to look to you, to find strength in you. God, so many people are suffering in a weary, downcast, disturbed and distressed here today. God, I pray that that we would strengthen ourselves in the Lord our God, in you, we pray. God, I pray that this word would, Lord, speak to each and every one of our hearts and our minds, that you would, Lord, meet us, that you would strengthen us, not in other things, but in you and you alone. In your name we pray, amen. Well, there was a book that came out a few years back. It was called The Return of the Raider. Um, Noah had nothing to do with Indiana Jones. It was about a guy named uh, Corporal Jacob DeShazer. He had grown up in a Christian home. He had wandered away from the faith. He had rejected his parents' faith, and he wanted nothing to do with God. Around December 7th, 1941, there was a tragedy that happened in the nation called Pearl Harbor the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, and Jacob was so incensed and angry in response that he signed up for the military, and he went because he wanted to carry out retribution on those who had harmed people he knew, and so he joined up to the army, and he was desperate to take revenge, and actually the whole country was desperate to retaliate against the Japanese, and so the, a bombing raid was organized by this, this colonel named James Doolittle, and James Doolittle, this, little, this, this raid, it was um, carried out from the USS Hornet, and, and all these airmen had been gathering and weeks before, and a lot of them had attended the Easter services, but not Jacob. Jacob wanted nothing to do with that. All these guys were praying, and they were concerned because they'd never seen battle before, and, and Jacob wanted nothing to do with God. He didn't seek God. He wasn't pursuing God. He took off as a member of a, of a crew of a plane, ironically named Bat Out of Hell, and as they flew over Japan, they deployed their bombs, but they ran out of fuel, and so they couldn't make it back to the place to their, they hoped to land in China, and the entire crew had to bail out over Japan. And soon after they, they bailed out and they reached the ground, they were taken prisoners by the Japanese, and Jacob was a prisoner of war for 40 months in Japan, 34 of which was in solitary confinement. Three of his close buddies were executed six months after they got taken. Fourteen months in, one of his best friends on the, on the plane died of starvation, this slow, painful death. And Jacob boiled over with hatred, and, and then he tried to figure out why. Why do they hate us so much? Why do I hate them so much? And, and a Bible was making its way around the camp, and it came to be Jacob's turn. And he thought, well, maybe I'll figure out why there's so much hatred in the world. And so he started reading the Bible, and... As he read through scripture, he read it from Genesis on, and he recounts reading this. He says, Chapter after chapter gripped my heart. In due time I came to the books of the prophets and found that their every writing seemed focused on a divine redeemer from sin. One who was to be sent from heaven to be born in the form of a human babe. The writing so fascinated me that I read them again and again until I had earnestly studied them through six times. Then I went on to the New Testament and there read the birth of Jesus Christ, the one who actually fulfilled the very prophecies of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, and the other Old Testament writers. He says, My heart rejoiced as I found confirmed in Acts ten t- forty-three, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes on him shall receive forgiveness of sins. And after I, I read the book of Acts, I continued on and I found Romans 10. He says, On June 8, 1944, the words in Romans 10, 9 stood out boldly before my eyes. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That very moment, he says, God gave me grace to confess my sins to him, and he forgave me all my sins and saved me for Jesus' sake. I later found that his word again promises this so clearly throughout. He says how my heart rejoiced in my newness of spiritual life, even though my body was suffering so terribly from the physical beatings and lack of food, but suddenly I discovered that God had given me new spiritual eyes and that when I looked at the enemy officers and guards who had been starved and beaten my companions and me so cruelty, I found my bitter hatred for them had changed to loving pity. What went on in Jacob's life? He was, he was brought to this place of utter despair, of lowness, this utter low point in his life before he found strength in God. But he wasn't the first person to be brought low before he found strength in God. In the scripture text that we started off with, David, who seems to be this wonderful example in the Old Testament, is really, has really not been a great example the past few chapters in the book of Samuel. He's brought to a very low point here before he finds strength in God you know, as I was reading the whole chapter in preparation for today, and I I just couldn't get past, really verse 6, but I couldn't get past the first nine verses because I, I, I was just struck with how desperate this picture was, how distressing this picture was, what a low place this was. And then I was struck with the fact that David was brought this low, and then it was at that low point that he found strength in God. So, What are we to make of all this? What are we to make of all this? This 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 first part of the chapter, it really highlights this this low point of David's life, but it also highlights where David found true strength. You know, I think God has this simple but profound truth to encourage us. We not we might not be in a low point like David is, but maybe you are this morning. We might not be in a place where he is, where your wife and children have been taken away from you and your house has been burned. But, you know, we we all get to a place where we're low, where we're desperate, we're tired, we're weary, we're distraught. We all lose perspective at times. It only takes me about a week. I mean, honestly, you know, going on vacation is great. It takes me about a week of being away to realize, oh my goodness, I better get perspective quick. I I better pour back into God and His people because if I don't, I will become self-sufficient And we all get tired. We all are low at times. And and what we need to see is that sometimes it's God's very purposes that we're brought low so that we forsake finding strength in anything else other than God. And so the Apostle Paul, we saw, was the same. He he was in this great place in his life and, and he was doing wonderful ministry and all kinds of people were being healed just by touching handkerchiefs that he had touched. And and yet the Apostle Paul, he experienced this thorn in the flesh, and, and he's weak, and he cries out to God for deliverance. And God brought him to that place says, so that in his weakness, he could see that in his weakness, he was strong in Christ. And we see kind of, you and I are no different. We must be brought low at times before we see how much we really need God and find strength in him. And these, these first few verses, we're going to see that, that God's servant is distressed. God's servant is distressed. But he finds strength in God through his word and through his priest. You might be wondering, well, how in the world does that relate to me? We're going to see that in just a few moments. You know, it's not the happiest thing off the bat. But if you think about it, it should be for a few reasons. God loves us so much that he won't allow us to trust in anything else other than him. He won't allow us to find satisfaction in anything else other than himself he won't let us find true fulfillment and happiness in anything other than himself and so at times god's servant is distressed and brought low is that because god is in need of our love no it's because we were designed to love god we were designed to be with god we were designed to be in communion in relationship with him and sometimes it takes being distressed to get us to the place where we see that, that we need God. So at times, the, the first idea we're going to look at, the first point we're going to look at, is that God's servant can be distressed. God's servant can be distressed. Now why is that good to see? Why is it good to see that God's servant can be distressed? Why is it good for us to look and see that David is really distressed here? I think it's good because we can identify with scripture that does not gloss over the truth. It doesn't try to hide things. It doesn't, it's not embarrassed by the fact that that people are weak and distressed. And we can relate to that. Everybody here has gone through a distressing time at some point in their lives. And if you haven't yet, you will. Jesus actually promised. He says, In this world, you will have many troubles. But he says, Take heart, I've overcome the world. You know, if you think about it, this is a little confusing if you're reading through the book of Samuel and thinking, well, isn't David God's anointed king? What's going on here? Isn't David God's anointed king? He's the king of God's choosing. God loved him and had a wonderful plan for his life, right? And yet this doesn't seem so wonderful. Just when things have started to go his way, David and his men, they're visited with yet more tragedy. It's important to remember the background for this account. You see, David had experienced a few chapters earlier what some would call a a fainting fit of the faith. He got into a place where he had faith in God, then he saw that Saul kept pursuing him. He got scared, and so he runs. He doesn't seek God. This is not God's way of providing for him. David goes off to the Philistines, the very enemies of the people of Israel, and he goes to Achish, the king of Gath, and he finds refuge and seeks refuge in the enemies of God. And because the Philistine king was so impressed with David, he, he takes David and his troops along with him. David had, had done some awful things in the preceding chapters. He and his 600 men, they deceitfully went all throughout the desert and they were raiding, killing people. They didn't leave anybody alive. This is not the picture of a great hero of the faith. It's a very dark time for uh, about a year and four months. David was on the run and not really pursuing God. We have nothing in Scripture to indicate that he was pursuing God. He was kind of taking matters into his own hands, trying to figure out a way to provide for him. he and his 600 men. And that's understandable, right? Because they had all their families with them too. And so he goes and he raids and he kills and he leaves no survivors because he wants to make sure that um, he covers up and stays safe. And so then Achish is impressed with him. He takes him off. They go. On the way to fight the Philist- to fight the Israelites, the, the Philistines are the very enemies of God. David is now joined with them. This isn't a great picture of David and his failings, but God mercifully gets him out of the situation. He delivers him because the Philistines, other Philistine lords, say, "No, there's no way he's going to go with us to fight the Israelites." Achish shows him even more mercy, and now in this chapter, the context, David and his men they're marching back from. Aphek, where they were about to gather to go to war against Israel, and God just mercifully saves them at the last minute, and they're marching back, they've been away for a few days, they marched up for a few days, and they're marching back now, and we see in this chapter, they're marching back, and when they get to the city, you know, I can imagine prior to that, they're thinking... Oh, God, thank you so much for sparing us from fighting against our brothers. Thank you, God, for sparing us from fighting against the Israelites. Whew, that was a close one. God's really on our side. Everything's going great now. We've had some trouble. David kind of lost his way, but God showed mercy, and now everything's going to go well, right? That's not what happens. Can you imagine? You're you're marching back. It's three days on the march back, and you've been up about three days, and you've been going for over a week away from your family and your, your, your place, your home, your city. And I can imagine they, they might have seen a lot of smoke rising up from the city as, as they wonder, what's, what's going on? Why is there so so much smoke back home? And they get closer and they start to smell the burning and they see the ashes and the destruction. And I can just imagine them running from house to house looking for survivors, looking for their families, looking for where, where, where are they? Where's, where's my family? Where's my kids? Where's my wife? Where is everybody? Is this is this, this king that we're following, is, this, is God delivering us through him? I don't think so. This must not be God's king. And so they're, they're panicky, I can imagine, looking and finding no signs. And what a horrifying time it must have been. If you can imagine coming home to your house and finding no one there, just ashes, your whole neighborhood is laid waste, and you don't even know where they've gone. No sign, no word, no note, Nothing. And, and they come back on the heels of a deliverance from God. From God sparing them mercifully from fighting against their own people. And they come back and they, they, they must have been praising God on the way back, feeling relief. But they come back and, and, and the other shoe drops. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like, hey, just when things are going really well, then something cruddy happens. Just when I'm really in faith and God seems to be pouring out his mercy, everything seems to be going good... What the heck, God? You ever feel like that? I know I have. If you haven't, I, I don't know how long you've lived. You know, how could this happen to them? They'd already been on the run for many years. they already experienced hardships and difficulties. And now, the life that they built in Ziklag, the people who are most dear to them, they're all gone. Everything's gone. Everything's taken away. Verse 4, look down your Bibles. It tells us, It says, then David, here's the reaction, and the people who were with him, I can imagine, it says, raised their voices, look how moving this is, it says, and wept until they had no more strength to weep. To say they were sad would be an extreme understatement. To say that they they were depressed or down would would, would be putting it lightly. They they raised their voices, they cried out in anguish, they wept until they had no strength more strength to weep. Maybe, maybe you felt on the verge of that at times. Maybe you've been there at times. There's some raw emotion in this verse. They, they're lamenting. They're wailing. They're crying out. And, and they're, they're weeping so much that they're just, they can't even weep. They're not even strong enough to weep to cry anymore. They're so worn out. They're so numb, tired, distressed. They can't even weep. They can't even cry anymore. They were absolutely distraught. You know, can you imagine that? Can you imagine being married or having your spouse, your children, your friends, your family being taken away to an enemy who knows who and who knows where? They don't even have any clue at the beginning, part here when they're every, everybody's gone. And they're not dead, but that might be worse because first you think, well, hey, at least they didn't kill them. Yeah, but I'm sure they weren't consoling themselves thinking, yeah, hey, my wife is probably gonna be a, a slave and Taken by another man, or my kids are gonna be brutalized. I don't think that was hope-giving. You know, I've had difficult things happen to me in my life, but nothing like this. There have been times when I got into trouble because I did bad things and I deserved to get into trouble. There's times when things were tight financially as a family and we experienced strain not to do anything, we not do anything we did wrong. There's been times when I've been hurt and wrongs have been done to me. There's been times when people wrongly accused. There's been times I had relational problems with my family. You know, I've been accused by, because of my faith and threatened in my job. I was a pastor, but before that. None of those things are good. And all of them were challenging, but I can't imagine having what happened to David happen to me. You know, sometimes we need perspective, don't we? We need perspective. We need to see... That there, it is possible for it not to be outside of God's mysterious plan, but for God's people to be distressed. God's servant can be distressed, and that's actually good for us to see. You know, my difficulties can pale in comparison to David's, but they've still been real and difficult. Now, some people here, you had had difficulties that, that don't pale in comparison. You've had loved ones taken from you. You've lost friends or relatives or children or spouses. You've had people die. You've experienced your innocence taken away at the hands of an abuser. Some have been brutalized. Others have been deeply betrayed and abandoned. And, and, And so in this room, there probably are very many who are struggling with challenges that are deeply distressing. And you might be struggling right now. You might be distraught. You might be in a place where you're distressed. And it's good, not that you're distressed, but it's good for us to see That God's servant can be distressed, but that's not where it ends. David and his men, they wept, they wailed, they had no strength in them. They were too weak to cry. They despaired probably of life itself. I I can only imagine, so it doesn't say that. But when you're in the place where you can't even cry, you're so weak, you're despairing of life itself. Now, you know, some people here might find that you're struggling with ongoing depression or feelings of continual guilt or hopelessness. Maybe you feel like you're just barely holding it together now. And I, and I think that God has passages like this to encourage us and to show us that, yeah, in this world you will have troubles. In you know, a larger picture of Samuel, it, it's, it's, it's a contrast to the king that, that Saul is with the kind of king that David is, but there's some, some important theological points here as well. You know, it's meant to show us that, you know, David's darker side remains. Um, he, he, it reminds us that the only true hero in the Bible is, is God's true and only to King Jesus. Everyone else falls and is, is flawed in some way. Stories like this are meant to show us that we need deliverance. We need hope outside of us. We need strength. And it's meant to show us that at times God's people can experience extreme difficulties. And that's important for us to know because when you experience extreme difficulties or challenges or distresses, when you're discouraged in your life and you feel like you're all alone, you can think, God, what did I do wrong? Am I being punished? Have you left me? Do you not care about me anymore? Have you abandoned me? Do you not hear my cries? And sometimes it can get worse. Isn't that encouraging? Well, it's going to get there. Verse 5, it tells us that David wasn't spared the injustice that came upon his men. And David suffered the same tragedy that befell his followers. It says his two wives were taken from him as well. And and he wasn't just aloof. David wasn't aloof. He wasn't immune to to being just as upset as his men were. In fact, in verse 6, if you look down your Bibles, it says, David was greatly distressed. He was greatly distressed. You see, in the midst of loss, it tells us he was greatly distressed, not only because everything had been lost, but in the midst of all that loss, his men were turning on him, and they wanted to stone him. They wanted to to pick up rocks and kill him. That's a very personal way to kill somebody. Somebody. And probably said things like, David, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be here in this mess in the first place. You know, David, you, you got us here. We followed you. We didn't, we didn't think it was such a good idea. when We went to Philistines land anyway. And then, then we went to the land of the Philistines. And then you had us carrying out these raids on everybody. And we kind of lied about that. We didn't feel too good about that. That bothered our conscience. We followed you because you're the Lord's anointed. And then you took us up to fight against our own people. And we only got spared because the Philistines didn't like you. And now we come back and all of our family is dead and this is all your fault, and we're going to kill you. You're the one who led us away from, from Ziklag, and we shouldn't be here in the first place. And so they wanted to stone him. To say that greatly, David was greatly distressed, that's understandable, isn't it? Could you imagine being in that situation where not only has everything been taken away from you, but now the very men who you've traveled with, this band of brothers, these 600 tough warriors, now they're wanting to pick up stones and say, David, it's on you. But what does he do? What does he do? You see, in the midst of trial, his heart was revealed, and God brought him to a low place so that we see what happens next. He might have acted out of fear when he was brought into the land of the Philistines. He might have been self-sufficient and self-seeking when he raided desert towns and lied. And, And he might have gotten himself in hot water with Achish when he goes to fight the Israelites. But now... He realizes his mistake and he earnestly seeks God. God has not abandoned him. God has not left him in his distress. Look down at the end of verse 6. It says, But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And this is the second truth in this passage we have to see is that God's servant strengthens himself. How? In the Lord. God's servant strengthens himself in the lord when he had no strength even left to weep david turns and he strengthens himself in the lord but notice it doesn't stop and say david strengthened himself and isn't that really cool and what a great leader david was david was so impressive david was at his lowest point and he was just about to be killed by his own men and yet david strengthened himself and what a cool guy he is no it says david strengthened himself in the lord his god Sam Storm says, the simple exhortation, be strong, is both dangerous and useless. Self-reliance in spiritual warfare is suicidal. Believers do not strengthen themselves. Our strength must come from an external source, namely the Lord. Just pause for a moment in the middle of this quote. Maybe you find yourself weak. Our strength must come from an external source, namely the Lord. And maybe that's why we're weak at times for God to show us that, oh God, we need you. We don't need any other strength but you, because only you really have strength. He goes on to say, he says, "The strength of an earthly general is in his troops, but in the Christian life, the strength of the troops is in their general. He says, look at Joshua 1, 6-9. The exhortation to be strong and courageous is grounded in the reassuring promise that the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. David had gone far. He had wandered from God. He had been on the run for 16 months. We see no mention of him pursuing God, seeking God, doing godly things. In fact, he's doing a bunch of ungodly things. And yet, God is with him and it really just takes David turning And strengthening himself in the Lord. God has not left you this morning. If you're feeling distressed, you're feeling distant from God, you're feeling weak, you're feeling empty. God's not left you. Be strengthened in the Lord, your God. It's not pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That doesn't work. My grandfather, he he experienced extreme difficulty and hardship in life. By age 12, he was on his own, completely living, um, destitute, impoverished. His response was not to to look to God, unfortunately. He pulled himself up by his own bootstraps and finished high school at night and worked in a tobacco farm during the day. And and he, he pulled himself up by his own bootstraps and it eventually made him rich, but he was a hard man who didn't love God and eventually lost everything in the end anyway and died sad. Strengthening ourselves... And our own strength is useless. You know, Saul responded to difficulty that way, didn't he? And this this passage is contrasting that. Saul, when he responds to difficulty and and he hears that he feels like God's not responding to him, he doesn't then repent. What Saul does is he turns to a witch. He doesn't strengthen himself in the Lord. He just, when the goings got tough, Saul tried whatever he could. He turned to self-sufficiency. In the end, he looked for anything he could do to rescue himself we saw just a few weeks ago, and we're going to see in a couple weeks, it's not going to end well for Saul. What do you strengthen yourself in? When you are weak, when you are weary, when you reach the end of your rope, when you feel like you're at the low point of life, when the other shoe drops, where do you turn? Where do you find strength? Do you look to self-help books or positive confession? You know, is David's problem here that he didn't name it and claim it enough? No. You know, David's failures were were really results of of self-sufficiency, but that's not, David doesn't stay there when he hits rock bottom. But it it took nearly rock bottom for David to turn and strengthen himself in God. And for me, that's hope-giving because at times I can feel like such a loser. You ever feel like a loser in life? You ever feel... (laughs) Maybe it's just me, I don't know. Um, you ever feel like a loser and like, I just can't stop failing, I can't stop doing wrong things, I'm so weak, I'm so weary, you know, what's the point? I can't even do, do Christianity right, I can't even, I can't even read my Bible, I have no desires there, I have no desire to pray, and, and you know, and, and it can lead you to feel like it, you just give up on everything, right? This, but don't stop there, don't read this passage wrongly. David turns and strengthens himself in the Lord. Where do you turn? It's not self-help. This is God helping his servant. It doesn't spell exactly how David strengthened himself in the Lord, but it gives an idea of the same language. It says he strengthened himself in the Lord is the same language that was given in 1 Samuel 23 when, when Jonathan came to David, when he was at another low point, and Jonathan came and encouraged him in the Lord, and he reminded him of God's word. And so we see not only that idea, but we see David as well. He calls for the priest and he says, come to me because why? He wants to hear from God. And so God's servant, we see, strengthens himself through God's word. He asks Abiathar, he says, he says come here and bring the ephod with you. The ephod was, was the means, I, we don't really understand exactly what it was, but the means by which God's people would, would seek to hear a word from God. You know why? Because they didn't have... The written word of God like we do. They didn't have the, the fullness of all the scriptures written. But David sought out to hear from God. You know, we see that the Psalms are full of David strengthening himself through God's word, aren't they? Often David prayed, and he starts off, he just prays to God, and he cries out to God. In, in Psalm 86, 16, he just asks him outright to give him strength. He says, turn to me and be gracious to me. Oh, grant strength to thy servant and save the son of thy handmaid. And I think that's maybe where it begins, even before, as we read God's word, do it from an attitude of prayer and dependence upon God, turning back to him and saying, God, I need your strength. I'm desperate. I'm weak. I'm weary. I'm low. Would you strengthen me? Because we're needy and we're weak. Recently, I was reminded. I was talking to a friend about prayer and about seeking God in His Word, and and how no one on their own naturally is a great prayer warrior. No one on their own on their own is is naturally a great reader of God's Word. And yet, we deceive ourselves and think, "Oh, it must be easy for this person. It must be easy for that person." And and I was reminded of a hero of the faith, George Mueller. And, and he experienced so many different challenges and trials in his life. But what sustained him in each and every one of those times was when he, he opened up God's word, he was reminded of the truth of God. And he prayed through God's word. God transformed him and he found strength and faith and hope in God. And, and, and George Mueller, i share a few quotes with him. He says, to learn strong faith is to endure great trials. It's not what we want to hear, right? You know, you guys are going to plant the church. You're in the midst of planting a church. You're going to have some trials. You're going to have people who join your church, probably leave your church a year or two later. You're going to experience trials and hardships and difficulties. Christian, you will experience trials and difficulties, but to learn strong faith is to endure great trials. He says, I've learned my faith by standing firm amid severe testings. It goes on to say, if, if we desire our faith to be strengthened, we should not shrink from opportunities where our faith may be tried, and therefore through trial be strengthened. Maybe you find that you're in a difficult place. Maybe you find that you're facing trials. What's the answer? God, just get me out of this. Well, that's not a wrong prayer, but but the The best way we can pray is, God, I pray that if it's your will, would you you deliver me from this trial? Would you get me out of this? But God, no matter what, I look and find my strength in you. He says, therefore, through trial, be strengthened. When nothing else will work, encourage yourself in the Lord. And by the way, nothing else will work. He says, do it with the word of God. Be assured if you walk with him and look to him and expect help from him, he will never fail you. You know, for some reason, coming off of vacation last week, I was telling Aaron just a few months before I came up here, I'm um, coming off vacation last week, you think, hey, I'm just obviously so refreshed, and I'll be strengthened, this is great. And I came off vacation, and Friday, Thursday, Friday, I'm like, I'm just, I feel so weak. I feel so wiped out. I don't feel refreshed at all. I feel weary. I feel weak. I feel desperate and foggy. I feel like I couldn't focus and just too weak even to study. And I found myself in a place where I was aware that I desperately needed God to give strength. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's good for us to be at the place where we realize that we are weak, and yet we have a God we can turn to and receive strength. I was reminded that that God is the one who speaks to my heart and our hearts, and God's the one who gives faith, and, and God is the one who delights to show himself strong to his people in the midst of weakness. And And maybe for you, you've been feeling weak and weary and down, discouraged, and you just can't figure out why. Like maybe this low level depression you're living with. Maybe you're just feeling blah. You don't feel like you can connect with God. You feel like God is distant. And maybe that's God saying, hey, turn to me. Because what you've been hoping and what you've been looking for, maybe you've been looking to entertainment to, to kind of make you feel better and it's not working. Maybe you've been looking to kind of social things to, to make you feel better and it's not working. Maybe you've been, you've been looking to, hey, be stimulated or, or have great conversations with other people or whatever it is. You maybe you've looking at all these other places and it's just blah. You ever feel that way? I think it's because God wants nothing else to satisfy us and he wants us to turn to find strength to hear from him, to hear from his word, you know i get I get frustrated and despondent and focus on myself, and you know the, the problem is we get in a spiral this kind of death spiral for the Christian, probably where David was sixteen months prior to this, this spiral of self sufficiency where we just get further and further from God in our hearts. You know, the, the modern Christian really would look at the passages in the previous verses where, where David, what he's doing, he, he seems to be walking away from God. You know, is David a backsliding Christian? What is he doing here? You know, I, I, I could be tempted not to pray, not to read his word, to make a hundred excuses for both and be so busy in being self-sufficient. And I need to be at the place where I see that I need strength in God. But I can be strengthened in God. Because God gives his strength to his people. You know, the more you don't pray, the more you don't read the Bible, the easier it becomes, the less you desire to pray, the less you desire to read. But the sad thing is, these are the places that you and I really find strength. It's what we need the most. And I think that's a desire of the enemy and maybe you find yourself there today, like, I just don't feel like I can pray. I just don't feel like I can read God's Word. I don't know if I can get much out of it. I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at praying. I'm not very good at reading. M- maybe, just maybe, that's the enemy of our souls who's attacking the very place that we'll find strength. You know, if you want to defeat an army, you cut off their supply lines. Where is your supply line today? you weak? you distressed? you need the comfort? Are you just distraught or confused here's the good news we can humble ourselves in Isaiah 66 it says but this this is God speaking but this is the one to whom I would look he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word what does he mean he looks on he he looks with favor with his gracious favor on all those who humble himself and are contrite and tremble at his word if you are distressed and distraught good humble yourself And said, God, thank you that you promise that you look on me, no matter what I feel like this morning. You know, David, all throughout the Psalms, often seen pouring out his heart to God in prayer. Psalm 22, David wrote, he was distraught. I I think we have the scripture for you. He says, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. What's he doing here? He's turning. He's turning from himself. He's turning and looking up. He's crying out. He's pouring out his troubles before God, but he's then turning And looking up to God, he says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify and stand on all of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. He says, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules the nations. Find your strength in him, Christian. He had a pattern here. He would pour out his troubles before God, and he would turn to God, and he would see that God is faithful and God is good. When you lack strength, it's good to tell your troubles to God, but that's not enough. That's not being strengthened in God. David and his men, they wept, they wailed, they cried out. That was not being strengthened in God. They were even angry about it, and maybe even a righteous anger, but that's not being strengthened in God. What is being strengthened in God? It's turning to God. It's seeking God. It's seeking His Word. Seeking not just His Word, but strength to be strengthened through God's priest. God's servant strengthens himself through God's priest. What do we see in verse 7 of our text? Look down your Bibles. It says, And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. and David inquired of the Lord. What, what's going on here? Why, why do we have that passage? Why do we have that picture? You know, David, he's inquiring of Abiathar the priest, and he says, Come near, bring me, the, bring me this means that I might hear God. Why do we have that? How, how can we relate to that? That's all well and good for David, right? David had this priest. We don't have that, do we? David had this guy who was always traveling along with him, who, who always went everywhere David went. He was there, and so whenever David got into jam, he said, hey, Abiathar, come here, and I want to hear from God, and so he would call Abiathar, but, but you might be saying, hey, that was great, but we don't have that, and that's where you're wrong, David had a, a dim shadow, really, of what we have. Before you go on longing for the time of David, where you can call for Abiathar the priest, Hebrews 4, at 4, in verse 14, it tells us something that's very important for you to hear, that you can call on your priest. And he tells you who this priest is, and in Hebrews it says, Since then, we have a great high priest. We have a great high priest You have a great high priest who travels with you wherever you go. It says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, who is this high priest? Jesus, the Son of God. It says, since we have this high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. If we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace. How? Through our priest that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, David, the anointed one of God, he had a priest who went with him, and that was really good. That's the way that David heard from God. We've been given a greater high priest. We've been given one who is is not just a high priest. He's also the anointed one. He, He is the one who fulfills all of God's promises, and he's also the one who takes our place before God. He's the one who, who's lived a perfect life. He's not sinned in any way, and yet he knows about all of our sins, and he doesn't condemn us. Instead, he condemned all of our sins in himself for us. And we have a priest that it says, if, he, if God is for us, who can be against us? We have a priest that we can never be separated from. If you placed your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ, You see, Jesus is the great high priest who says that he constantly makes intercession. You don't need to just call on him once in a while when you need direction like David did with Abiathar. And it says that Jesus is the kind of priest who sticks closer than a brother. He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's the one who's constantly interceding for you. We're strengthened as we draw near to the priest. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We come to the priest and find rest and strength in the great high priest that we have. We find confidence to draw near the throne of grace. Why? Because, because he made our priest, he didn't just sacrifice some animals and say, now, Dave, now David, you're okay for a little while. Our priest, he says, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna sacrifice Myself for you. I'm going to exchange my life for yours. I'm going to give myself in your place. And I'm going to act like a priest who carries himself to the altar and sacrifices himself on the altar of God's wrath. And as he has shed his blood for us, he, he forever opens up a way that we no longer are separated from God. He's the priest who mediates a new and better covenant, who enables us to have access freely to the throne of grace, to receive mercy and grace in time of need, to receive help, to be strengthened. Maybe you are weak this morning. Be strengthened in the Lord. But don't just be strengthened in the Lord, somebody else is God. Remember, you know there's two little words that there what David said is, David would strengthen himself in the Lord, his God. His God. God is your God. If you've placed your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ for salvation and forgiveness of sins, God is your God. Strengthen yourself in the Lord, your God. Not, not your parents' faith, not somebody else's faith. Don't, don't call out to God who's distant. Realize that God is near and he is your God. He's your father. He's the one who loves you, who's for you. He's he's the one who says, "Ah, when when you're naked, when you have nothing, come and find clothing from me. And he gives the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he gives strength and he gives meat and he gives bread. He gives himself as the bread of life. I love that picture in communion of, of being strengthened in Christ through receiving sustenance and strength through receiving him as our God. And and I love that picture of receiving the blood of Jesus, our God, and being strengthened and being made pure and clean and having hope and faith. Amen? Let's call on our great high priest and receive strength in the Lord, our God. Let's pray. And as we pray, I'll have the band go ahead and come up and we'll sing. Father, I pray that you would enable each and every one of us here to to throw off every weight and every sin which so easily entangles. God, I pray that as well you would enable each and every one of us here to be free from the fog of self-sufficiency. God, I pray that we would all find our strength in the Lord our God that we would be strengthened through your word, we'd be strengthened through the great high priest who is for us, that we would receive and come into your throne boldly to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. God, would you particularly strengthen those who are distant, distressed, distraught, those who are weary and weak, those who feel like you've abandoned, those who feel all alone. God, would you remind each and every one of them, each and every one of us, that you will never leave us and forsake us. As you are for us, not against us. As you intercede for us, that you love us, and your love will never be taken away. And you call us to come to you and find strength. In your name we pray, amen.